Chapter Three of Concerning Genealogies by Frank Alabin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, Compiling. We will suppose that at last the task of investigation has come to an end. We have run our family lines back as far as our plan contemplated, or as far as we were able to do with a reasonable amount of research. Perhaps most of them go back to the original emigrants, but it may be that in a case or two we have had the good fortune to make connection with an old family stem in Europe. In any case, the work is now done. We have made our discoveries, and scored triumphs not a few. But though the excitement of the chase is over, its pleasures are by no means spent. Is there no story to tell? no tale of our difficulties and exploits? Next to the exhilaration of the hunt itself, what can compare with the mellow joy of going over it with a comrade? Least of all can the inevitable narrative be spared in a case of ancestry hunting. It is the logical issue of the search, and failure to weave our facts into a readable story after having collected them is almost unthinkable. Having piloted the reader safely hitherto, we must now faithfully warn against pernicious ways, even though it should involve criticism of many of the genealogical books which have appeared in print. The truth is that in the great majority of such works we look in vain for the proofs of the statements made. Authorities are not given, and we do not find systematic footnotes nor even ordinary citations of authorities in the text. We have nothing better than our own guess to enable us to decide whether the compiler is giving us the fruit of original research, an extract from another compilation, unsupported tradition, or a mere conjecture. This is most unfortunate, for a genealogical chain is no stronger than its weakest link. Suppose that we have tested one of the statements in such a book by our own original investigation and find it to be erroneous. How can we feel sure that the next statement may not be equally unreliable? The whole book therefore becomes discredited in our eyes. With genealogists everywhere at work, the errors in such volumes are bound to be discovered and made public. Any degree of confidence which we can allow ourselves in such cases depends upon the reputation of the compiler. But no man is infallible, and how can we know that the author's message were such as to reduce his errors to a minimum? It may be that our own family line has been treated in such a book, that we have personal knowledge of the compiler, and are well satisfied as to his carefulness and accuracy but can we expect others to have the same faith? How are they to be convinced that our family history is correctly given in a book of mere assertions, backed up by no display of authority? Can a genealogist claim to be exempt from conditions which the greatest historians impose upon themselves? Does a Gibbons, Macaulay, Guizot, Motley, Prescott, or Bancroft expect to withhold the sources of his information, and ask to be taken on faith? 
by giving the authorities for his statements he proves instead that he has made proper researches that his work is faithful and that he can be trusted to draw judicious conclusions we appreciate the great labor involved in compiling an authoritative work and understand the temptation to compile a book of mere assertions but we see no honest escape from the obligation to give authorities nor is escape desirable for it is a sad fact that some who support themselves by means of genealogical investigation manifest no great anxiety to do honest work they are careless in gathering their facts and their pretense of having surveyed a field is no assurance that desirable data have not been overlooked or willfully neglected in compiling they are equally slipshod their work is always set forth in the unauthoritative manner here condemned and it is most desirable that others should protect themselves from the outward appearance of a like carelessness by giving their authorities the extra work which the giving of authorities is supposed to entail is more fanciful than real the failure to jot down the authority with each note made in our notebook to remind us of the actual value of each item and to direct us where to go for its context or for reinspection is probably a much more substantial cause of extra work and there is no difficulty in giving our authorities in the manuscript prepared for the press if this work of previous investigation has been properly done we can appreciate the terror of the situation for one who has failed to note his authorities as he transcribed his extracts after compiling his manuscript from his notes must he go over the whole territory covered by his research in order to gather up the missing authorities unless he is of heroic mold he will probably refuse to do so in despair thus the reader can perceive the full importance of doing the work of investigation properly as insisted upon in the preceding chapter if he has done so there is no difficulty in compiling an authoritative work his note and the authority for it stand side by side and as he uses the one he can instantly set down the other we have spoken of the legal method of investigation and said that the genealogical investigator is like the lawyer who is getting his evidence together but this having been done there remains the preparation of the case for its presentation to the court the work of the genealogical compiler corresponds to this as the lawyer's brief compels the favorable decision of the judge or as the logical presentation of the case convinces the jury so should the argument of the compiler of family lineage convince the court of public opinion his should be an historical document which carries its evidence upon its face but if his methods have been careless either in research or presentation the cross-examination of historical criticism is sure to tear the case to pieces although a temporary decision may be given in his favor another investigator will eventually arise and question some of his unsupported statements the whole case will thus be appealed 
and a new investigation be called for. It is perfectly true that a strictly legal method cannot be carried out in the printed volume. Original documents can be readily presented to an ordinary judge and jury, and by them be carefully inspected. But when we present our case from the printed page, the whole world is the court, our readers the jury, and the printed volume itself both witness and advocate. The original documents, though we may have them in our possession, cannot be placed in the hands of every reader of a book. Therefore, in compiling for publication, the historical method takes the place of a strictly legal presentation of the case. This method, as we have already seen, simply leaves out the feature of affidavits and certified documents, and substitutes that of references to the original authorities. It is the legal method adjusted to the conditions of publication. The reward which flows from this method is easily seen. We cannot hope that our book will be flawless. Mistakes will occur, and it may transpire that some of our witnesses were misinformed. But what of this? If we have followed the historical method, the pointing out of an error in no wise invalidates our book. One witness out of the hundreds we have called may be impeached, but this only affects the single aspect of the case which rested on the testimony of that witness. The rest of the testimony stands unimpaired. On the other hand, the historical method involves no undue severity in the character of our book. It need not be stiff and solemn and pedantic. If we are gifted with a sprightly style, let us make the most of it. If we see a humorous side of things, let us entertain the reader with it. Even though one of our venerable forebears be the subject of the joke, we need not hesitate. Could we appeal to him, undoubtedly he would smile with the rest, and urge us to go ahead and make the book as bright and lively as possible. If we have collected portraits, photographs of old homesteads, tombstones and churches where our ancestors worshipped, ancient documents, and other heirlooms, these should be inserted or referred to in the proper places in the manuscript prepared for the printer. A genealogical work embellished with illustrations has its attractiveness increased manyfold, and much can be accomplished in this direction without incurring a very great expense. A truly interesting genealogical work is not a dry compilation of family statistics, but contains striking biographical pen pictures. Let these be made as complete as possible and the story told with all the interest we can throw into it. We believe that the ideal genealogy is yet to be written, and that it will present facts with the accuracy of a Bancroft, but clothe them with the charm of an Irving. What possibilities there are, and all in connection with a work which will hand down our name, wreathed with the memories of our ancestors, in a common halo of glory. In view of what has been said, it will be suspected that we do not look with much favor upon statistical tomes, with their hieroglyphic abbreviations, disconnected phrases, 
and other contortions of condensation. This is certainly true. We would abolish all abbreviations in genealogical works if we could, and would have the story told in sentences framed in our mother tongue. We would have the book excellent in matter, pleasing in style, and attractive to the eye. In closing this chapter, we may add that the service of the genealogical and biographical department of the Grafton Press is intended to cover every phase of genealogical compilation, as well as of genealogical research. The entire work will be undertaken, both the investigation of the family lines and the preparation of the manuscript for the press, or the data accumulated by others will be compiled manuscript which has been arranged but is not satisfactory will be rearranged and edited or entirely rewritten as desired in the chapters which immediately follow the subject of compiling is continued in connection with the two forms into which a genealogical work may be cast as we shall see these forms are fundamentally so different in plan that the reader must make his choice between them at the outset. The great point before us in the present chapter is that of compiling so as to make an authoritative work. End of chapter 3